640 Toronto presents Think Tank. Two guests, Toronto's top stories, commercial free. Now, let's meet the guests. Welcome back to the show. Let's jump right in and welcome our guests, Steve Pakin, author and broadcaster, and Mitzi Hunter, former mayoral candidate. Every time I speak with these two, I have so much fun. I learn something. Uh, it's a great, great chat. So welcome to the both of you this morning. Hi, good morning. Everyone is waking up to the conversation about medical assistance in dying, Mitzi. Everyone, I believe, is entitled to their own opinion on this one. Uh, it is so personal. It is. Uh, it, it, it can speak to you religiously, ethically, morally, politically. You take your pick. No, I don't think anybody's ever wrong on this. And uh, and. Uh, and I, however, the government has taken a position that I absolutely and wholly respect, which is just taking a beat because we are not, as, as they say, not ready. We are not equipped to move the ball down the field uh, for those people who are in in pain due entirely to mental uh, m- mental issues. What is what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And and the system just is not prepared. It, the the doctors and the medical professionals in the system are not prepared to to make that kind of assessment. And and you know we know that mental health is um, it's it's a, an issue in in many different ways in our country. And people in some parts of of our country can't get access to. A psychiatrist. Uh, the wait lists are very long. Uh, we can't. We don't see the treatment being uh, available as much as we would like. So, you know, we we can't put people in a situation where they're faced with that type of a decision when alternatives are not not readily available in terms of treatment access. And so, I can see putting the brakes and making sure that the system itself is is ready and and that only happens um, when the medical professionals say that it is uh, steve pakin my contention is that we have been able to extend life but not necessarily extend the quality of life and because that gap exists that's where med- medical assistance in dying uh, that's that's where that legislation should live in that gap between life and quality of life I agree with what you just said, and I think you set this up uh, quite well as well. I, you know, I was thinking about this, Ben. What, what would we do? What would we do if we knew a 20-year-old who was suffering from intense mental health issues? We would certainly have all the sympathy in the world for the grief and the agony that they were going through. Uh, but could any of us look in the mirror and say, and yes, therefore, at age 20, there would be absolutely no hope for improving this person's circumstances. And therefore we ought to be allowed, they ought to be allowed at age 20 to end everything. That is, I mean, I totally understand why that is a bridge too far for the current government of Canada. I suspect anybody, any party that were in power right now would want to have a pause on this while we try to figure all this out. So uh, I'm with you on this one. Yeah, and I, I'm just glad. Like, I'm I'm glad that the evidence took them in a direction that they didn't anticipate. That that to me is leadership. That to me is mm-hmm. saying to those that they promised they were going to do this for. Um, we're sorry we have to break this promise, but this is the right thing to do. And so I believe credit needs to be given where credit is due. I also think that you got to call things what they are. And we're going to move on now to Olivia Chow and her. Uh, budget and uh, the fact that certain people in the media are saying that she's going to soften the tax blow for renters in 2024 and that she's going to be reducing their burden. She's doing no such thing. She's raising their taxes. 
She's just raising them less than what the original proposal was. This is a masterful art of PR and communications, Mitzi Hunter. <laughs> I agree with you on that one. The taxes are, as, as they've been proposed this far, it's just very high. It's a steep, steep curve for Torontonians. And, you know, there is nothing that says that if you lessen the amount that you're applying to renters to well to to people who own property that they rent that this is somehow going to be passed on to the renter yeah the fact of the matter is that the mayor of toronto does not have that in her control um the the province actually sets how high uh rental rates escalate and how fast and and has the tools to um, to regulate that. So it, it does. It is a masterful PR uh, approach, as you said, but it may or may not be passed on to renters. And what uh, people who, you know, our homeowners are saying is, well, we're feeling affordability issues as well. And why are we not getting the, the mayor's attention for that well yeah and, and steve like the, the when it comes to what mitzi was just talking about this is this is part of the same um the the same party line that not, and not just from from olivia but from a certain type of politician for the better part of uh, a few decades this is or this is that that conversation of you know we're going to ask the, those who are well off to pay their fair share or we're going to ask them to pay a little bit more it's always that conversation and you know from a tax perspective, I'm probably one of those people. So I would just like to know, just tell me what that number is. What is the number? What is the fair share so that I can know and budget for it? But every single year, I'm always being told I'm not paying enough. Feels like I'm paying a lot, but I'm not paying enough and I'm not doing my part. That's what I'm always being told. And 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 and, and people on the um, who own their own homes are going to feel are being told they, they got to pay their fair share. They got to pay more. Well, I remember it was only a few weeks ago, and I think we were actually discussing it on this segment, on the Think Tank segment here on 640, where the initial number came out at something like 16 plus percent as a potential tax increase, and everybody was having a coronary over it. And I remember saying at the time, hang on, everybody, hang on. This announcement is a three-act play. We are just (laughs) at the beginning of Act One, and everybody needs to take a value. We're a long way from from the finale. And my hunch is that this is a classic. I mean, you described it well in the opening again. This is a classic. Let's throw a huge number out there so that when we eventually land on something that will still be, you know, well beyond the rate of inflation, everybody will feel like they got a break because it's so much smaller than the originally announced number. Well, here we are. I think we're probably in the middle of Act 3 right now, finally. And that seems to be exactly what's happening. And now we're going to feel... If it comes in at six and a half percent, phew, that's a long way <laughs> yeah. from 16, isn't it? What a Dodged a done. bullet there. Th- th- oh, thank you, City Hall. Thank you, City Hall, for giving us such a break. My goodness, things could have been so much worse. Um, look, exactly. th- things are bad and getting worse in healthcare in Ontario, with the Ontario Medical Association sounding the alarm that one in four Ontarians could be without a family doctor by 2026. Look, um, I just assumed when I first read that headline that it was all about the money, right? Every time there's a crisis in healthcare, it feels like it's, it's due to lack of funding uh, or, or something attributable to lack of funding. But one of the reasons people can't get a doctor is because of the administrative work that these doctors have to do, as many as 19 hours a week filling out paperwork that they simply don't have time to get themselves more patients. This to me is 
This to me is a situation of we're getting in our own way. Like if we let, get out of the way and let these doctors be doctors, Mitzi, uh, there would have to be best practices somewhere in the world that we could look to and say, let's do that instead of the way we're doing things so that doctors can be doctors. Yeah, and, and there are many other things that are happening in the system. I, I do think some of it is investment and the province has to respond to that. And they do have a lot of surpluses that they're sitting on that can be invested in the healthcare system right now and preparing for that future because what's also happening is that we have retirees we have family doctors who are retiring uh, just reaching that age and and younger doctors who are training are not choosing that profession and they're turned off by the 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 burden that they're seeing becoming primary care physicians and family doctors in terms of whether it's, you know, having to do administration versus actually having time with their patients. Some of this, I believe, will be solved with innovation and, and, you know, using tools such as AI to accelerate and to advance and to take out some of that administrative burden, but it does require investment. And that's what the province should be doing right now and making sure we reduce uh, things in the system that are not necessary and we invest where, where investment is needed um, in terms of you know, more, more training and preparation for medical students getting into the, the primary care uh, family doctor profession. And, and that's, we should have been doing that before this retirement wave is hitting us now and people are having a shortage, particularly in rural communities where they just can't access a family doctor. You're listening to a Think Tank with Steve Pakin and Mitzi Hunter. I'm Ben Mulrooney. And Steve, when the numbers started coming out about how much money we as a province, as a city, as a, as a country were spending on uh, COVID relief and programs uh, designed to keep us afloat and whatever you want, the numbers were so ridiculously high that the, the, mind, the mind couldn't comprehend them. So what I chose to do was say, you know what? At least at the end of this, we will have better roads, better schools, better hospitals. None of that came to pass. Uh, and, and so I'm, I'm doubly disappointed that we had an opportunity during the pandemic to uh, reinvigorate our, our hospitals, our doctors, our nursing, our nurses, give them what they need because we were printing money and giving it out like candy. And yet when all has, when the, when the dust has settled, we're left with a crisis upon a crisis upon a crisis. Yeah. And there is this great old expression in politics, you know, you should never let a crisis go to waste. And unfortunately I'd hate to think that we've done that. If we, if we in fact did have a crisis that could have produced transformational change, and we did not take advantage of that, and shame on us. Yeah. Now, having said that, some things did change. Uh, it, 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 it was not a typical feature of the healthcare system before the uh, COVID crisis hit for patients to be able to receive treatment in their homes yeah. from their doctor via Zoom. Uh, the, the simple fact of the matter was there was no OHIP fee code by which doctors could charge for that service. Well, there is now. And so that's one way of taking some of the pressure off the doctor's office. But you put your finger on one thing. This is such a, a multi-layered crisis. You put your finger on one thing. The administration doctors have to do is a problem. The fact that there are not enough doctors being graduated from our medical schools is a problem. The fact that there are too many doctors from other countries who are driving taxis yep. and Uber and Lyft is a problem. We need to get those folks able to practice medicine in the province of Ontario. And the list goes on. So you've got to take a multi-pronged approach to this 
there's a lot of doctors who want to become specialists instead of family practitioners, which we need. And the, and the end result of all of these problems upon problems upon problems is that the next time you want to go to your ER for treatment, you're not going to be able to get treatment because everybody's going to be in the ER instead of in a doctor's office. That's ultimately where the rubber's going to hit the road. Well, so- someone who may have ended up in a doctor's office is a couple of women who found themselves uh, fighting it out on uh, on the TTC a few days ago. Uh, a pregnant woman and a passenger fighting on the platform. Uh, th- that's coupled with another story that we heard about uh, uh, someone just urinating inside a subway. Uh, people videotaping it, whether or not that was appropriate or not, is another conversation. But we, we, we talk about it almost every day. What can the TTC do to improve? Well, making sure those types of things don't happen would be a start. And, and then we hear the news today that somebody fell on the tracks uh, and uh, for, for reasons uh, that we're not quite sure yet. That's had spillover effects um, uh, throughout the GTA, including forcing more people into their cars, causing traffic in the city that we didn't anticipate. Uh, you know, I got to wonder whether a simple change, Mitzi, would be putting up those protective panels, preventing anybody from falling off or from being pushed on to um, to the subway tracks. Yes, I, I believe that we should be making those types of investments as we can. So as we're doing uh, new stations for any reason, it should include those separation barriers that, you know, make sure that the train comes to a full and complete stop and that no one has access to, to the track level. Um, you know, there are many, many, many reasons for doing that. The number one is safety yeah. and, uh, and, and, and loss of life. We don't want to see people, you know, falling onto the track, jumping onto the track, being pushed onto the track for any reason. And, and so we, we do need to make those kinds of, of in investments. I know they are costly, but it can be done gradually. And it can also be done in the most important stations. Um, you know, we're, we're going to be doing work at Young and Bloor. You know, make sure that that, that part of the investment happens and, and we have to keep people safe because we see that any delay in our TTC system and this, this type of disruption is going to cause a massive effect because the whole system is going to slow down um, while, you know, first, first responders and others deal with what, what is happening in an incident like that. And, and everyone is impacted. Uh, so, so Mitzi, you bring up a great, uh, you bring up a great point. You know, actuaries can, can determine how much productivity is lost when uh, in the UK, when the UK ends up in the, uh, in the World Cup, for example, like they can they can determine down to the penny how much work is not being done, how many taxes are not being earned, how and so on and so on and so on. Uh, th- somebody should be able to break this down, Steve. How much it would cost to put up those protective barriers so that the grand total of people who fall onto the tracks is zero, and and knowing what the cost is going to be today of this one incident, ex- extrapolate it. Um, over the course of a year. And there you go. You've got your cost-benefit analysis done. Well, yes, but, and here's where I'm going to play Scrooge and say I can think of billions and billions of reasons why this will never get done, and that is it's just too much money. It's too expensive. It will cost billions to retrofit the entire subway system to ensure that this doesn't happen. Now, safety Wait, you, first, you, you think course, it would cost billions of dollars to, to, put, to put up protective barriers? Seems a bit high. In every state... In every system, in every station on the system, 
Well, you, you start, you, but you, you start where you start where 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 there have been the, the 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 most incidents, right? And you move out over years. Okay, you want to do that? That's fine. And then the next time somebody's bus route gets shut down because they wanted to put up these kinds of barriers at St. George Station, and in doing so, you're going to inconvenience tens of thousands of people who are taking a bus in Etobicoke or Scarborough. Uh, you know, okay, you be the politician who has to deal with that. This is, these are not, we can have everything we want discussions. These are, if you want to do this, it's going to come at the cost of something else. And that's fine. If you can handle canceling the something else, that's fine. I have, I have to say, I have a, I have a bit of sympathy for the folks who run the TTC these days, because the, the incivility and the difficulties and the mental health issues and all of it, all of it that's happening in society broadly are really those chickens are coming home to roost on the TTC, and I must say I'm I'm on the subway most days of the week, and and I see something almost on every trip right now. Really, uh, if it's not people sort of spread out over the benches and just sleeping on the trains. And while we might say that's very you know uncivil behavior, uh, I'm sure that's a homeless person who just can't you know can't get into a shelter and can't be outdoors when it's minus ten. Not like today, but one couple of weeks ago when it was minus ten. And that person's been up all night and they need a place. I mean, that's why that happens. Yeah. We've seen, oh my gosh, how many videos do we see nowadays of people fighting on the subways? Well, and and Steve, it's interesting. Well. It's interesting that you bring that up because I am not somebody who, who takes the TTC very often, if at all. Uh, and, and I assumed that the, 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 the imagery, those, these negative stories that we see, these were uh, evidence of if it bleeds, it leads. It's sensational, and therefore we're going to talk about it. But it wasn't necessarily indicative of really what what the everyday experience is on the TTC. You're saying that is your experience. I'm saying it's too indicative of what's going Interesting. on. Interesting. Yes, there is there is a sensationalist aspect about it, and that's why we're seeing it on you know blog to or websites or news sites or local news or whatever. But the fact is, there's there's too much bad behavior on the subways these days or on streetcars. And one of the reasons is it's all coming home to roost, all of those problems. So, so Mitzi, um, it, l- let me paint the picture for you. So you've got, you got uh, Steve's uh, anecdotal evidence that this is, it's getting worse down there. And then I have Brad Bradford on the show a few days ago asking him, you know, what, what are some of the priorities of this city hall in the budget? And he tells me that the mayor, you know, we, we have a debate as to whether or not seven and a half million dollars is enough for the cops. I tend to think it's not. But she's spending a whole bunch of money hiring TTC greeters to put them in the subway. And the problem with that is they have no power. And if they see one of these problems, their first instinct is going to be what any normal human being's instinct is, who, who isn't paid to be down there, which is call the cops. So uh, it doesn't seem like this this problem is being taken very seriously. Well, we can't afford to put the cops at every point. Um, but we'd have we would have more money if we weren't hiring greeters. We could have well, at least we've we've, we've yeah. tried, right? It's very expensive to put police um, all throughout the system. We we have increased the amount of patrolling. I've seen it myself, and you know some of these incidences that are occurring uh, are people who need other types of support other than policing and and the the person who is there to to greet and to oversee could help to redirect that person to other types of assistance you know they are coming into the transit system because it is seen as almost community space at this point and and so we got to be able to help and provide support and redirect people to actual help and support and not just allowing them to to be in the transit system because it's away from the cold. Uh, I want to uh, turn our attention to all-star weekend in the city of Toronto. 
where <laughs> celebrities are descending, so stars are coming in, armed with uh, a willingness to and a desire to, to see the, the 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 great side of Toronto, and then and um, and in an, an effort to market itself to uh, these high net worth individuals, a Toronto institution. Fillmore's is offering free lap dances to any NHL all-star ID required. Uh, there are a lot of ways you can look at this. You can look at it as a, a CD story. I'm choosing to look at this like a brilliant piece of marketing. Uh, Mitzi, what say you? It is a brilliant piece of marketing because we're all talking about it yeah. and they're getting, you know, the, the earned media, the social media, the, you know, everyone is going to be saying, you know, look what Phil Morris is doing and their name is on the top of everyone's list. So, you know, they've done a good job. I, I, I think that they've obviously read their audience and, and they're doing their best to, to get attention um, I do think the timing is a little off for the NHL. There's there's a lot of serious things going on yeah. with recent allegations. And, and so I, I do think that this is not a great time for the NHL to to be, you know, pulled into that kind of a marketing. But, hey, no, I listen. I, all-star weekend. I agree with you, Mitzi. I, I had that conversation earlier this morning. I, I, I felt like being I felt like I was being a little bit of a wet blanket. But given what we talked about yesterday with the scandal with Hockey Canada, it was almost impossible not to go there in my own mind. I know that this has nothing to do with that. I know that Fillmore's is its own thing, having nothing to do with the NHL or Hockey Canada. And they, they're just trying to get their name out there in a fun and cheeky way. I get it. But it's and it's but it's unfortunate that that's the backdrop on which we're going to see a lot of this. You know, we're going to be judging. We're going to be paying very close attention to the stories in the local news, uh, Steve, about what uh, what these hockey players are doing in and around the city this weekend, aren't we? And not just for what they do on the ice. No, quite true. And I, I'm sure the people at Fillmore's thought this is a, a streak of marketing genius here. And then I'm sure at the exact same moment, uh, the folks who are responsible for the reputation of the National Hockey League thought, oh, we really do not want to be part of this. Uh, the bottom line is, I think that uh, there won't be too many people, won't be too many players participating in the All Star Game who make less than ten million dollars a year. So my hunch is they probably don't need a free lap dance anyway. <laughs> but we'll watch how this unfolds, as it were. Absolutely. Um, well, lastly, I think I want to spend a little bit of time on this one because this is one of those stories that just it. We, why can't we have some fun? This. The idea that uh, so snow cream is a big TikTok trend right now. I think celebrities have been sharing their own recipes of what snow cream is. And you go outside after the snow has fallen and you've got a beautiful bed of snow and, and you, you put various sweet things on it, condensed milk, sprinkles, cocoa powder, you know, and, and, and you turn it into a dessert. It's been done for generations, it's been passed down from, from, um, from, from generation to generation, different areas of North America have their own different versions of it. and the, But then social media does what it does. People talk about how it's unsafe, unsanitary. Now, scientists, the scientists are getting involved. Now they're saying that the snow is anything but pure. But Mitzi, I ask you, if you, are, if you have the appetite for something sweet, the, the most ready, readily available stuff isn't pure. And I would argue that I don't... Even even slightly dirty snow is going to be better for you. At least it feels like it would be better for you than a processed treat. 
No, not at all. What? Come on. I think it's nasty. It's, it's, first of all, first of all, I'm going to confess because, you know, I, I grew up, you know, here. I'm a Canadian kid. And everyone's tasted snow. You've eaten it at some point yes. in your life. But it's just something you do to experiment as a kid. The fact is now that it's become a TikTok or a social media sensation, it's just disgusting that... You know, and then it's all, it's just full of sugar. It's not the snow that they're tasting. Yeah, Mi- Mi- the Mitzi, yeah, Mitzi, I, so I'm going to stop you for a second. I'm gonna stop you. There are certain places, there are certain places where, where this is a thing. I think like New Hampshire or Vermont, this is a thing. They've been doing it for years. And for us, Mitzi, to look at their local tradition with derision in our voice and condescension dripping from our tongues. When, by the way, one of the things that we love around here is uh, is is French fries covered in gravy and cheese. And 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 we would we would be so offended if anyone took issue with that um, with, with 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 that treat that we love so much. So the shoes on the other foot, and I'm saying stand up for snow cream. And we have our own maple syrup candy that's made by pouring it into the snow. So yep. we, we embrace the snow, but we're not eating it by the bucket. But nobody's eating it by the bucket. Steve Pakin, come to my aid here. Like, come on. Can't, why can't we? It's a, free, it's a free treat that Mother Nature provides, and we're just adding some sweetness to it. Uh, and when I have an appetite for something sweet, I just turn you on on the radio. Oh, so you go. Oh, that warms the <laughs> cockles of my heart, Mr. Pakin. Thank you. Thank you. Now, the second thing is, are, are you sure the next time you try that snow cone uh, and you think it's French vanilla, that that might not be something else in there? That I'm not oh, grabbing yellow snow from the ground. I'm finding fresh <laughs> snow on a beautiful day after it fell on a field or outside my, back, my backyard. How is this, how is this something that people are concerned with, is my point. No, no, I'm going to admit to you on this one. I think you're, I th- uh, you're, you're all on your own on this one. Ugh. Fine. Like More snow for me. Before, but I thought, I, and I you also don't know what's coming before. upstream. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what? The two of you. <laughs> but you got, you got Steve playing Scrooge on, on, on not being able to have uh, the, the, the barriers at the TTC. And now he's telling me that he's not going to eat the snow. I'm not suggesting the snow be yellow, people. This is the wheels have fallen off. I I said I learned something every time I talk to you. I've I've learned that both of you are no fun. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Have a great Tuesday, guys. Take care. Take care.